You're listening to Real Presence Live. Now, back to more inspirational and uplifting stories and a look at the extraordinary things happening in our local area. Heard right here on the RPR Network. What's our phone number? Welcome back to the Real Presence Radio Live. You're listening to Father Randall Kiesel here. We have now our Straight Talk segment. Uh, when there's a chance for questions to be brought forward that I can answer here in the next, oh, 20 to 25 minutes or so. And I encourage you, if you have a question, you can go through the website, Real Presence Radio, or through the Facebook page for Real Presence Radio. And those questions we can get to. Uh, we have a big week here. Uh, we have All Hallows Eve, which is today, October 31st. And then tomorrow, a Holy Day of Obligation, November 1st, All Saints Day. Uh, so plan today where we'll be able to go to Mass tomorrow. Uh, perhaps your parish has a vigil Mass tonight, uh, or Masses tomorrow morning, or tomorrow over the noon hour, or tomorrow evening. Uh, I know there some parishes will have an All Saints party on November 1st, like we're having one here at St. Michael. Our, many of our youth will come dress up as saints uh, for the Holy Mass, and then downstairs we'll have food and some games, and then we'll have a litany of the saints and announce who all of our uh, little saints are, saints in the making, but they're honoring the various saints. should be a lot of fun uh, here uh, for November 1st, All Saints Day. Uh, but one of the things that comes up regarding All Saints, and I think we've had uh, this question on the saints, how, what is the process uh, for canonization? What are the steps? And uh, we hear about this generally, especially when someone is uh, named to be beatified or perhaps to be undergo the canonization. Uh, but there are actually a few steps before that. And uh, one of the steps is an investigation on the local level at a diocesan level. And there is a formal liturgical uh, uh, well, first, the investigation, there's looking for heroic virtues and then a, a kind of consensus, in a sense, of bringing the case forward to Rome. And then the local bishop uh, will have a liturgical ceremony and then the, the body of information that has been investigated and presented to the dicastery in Rome for the cause of saints. That it's officially sealed locally at the local diocese and then presented and taken to the Vatican. And then the Vatican there has the study that they do in their appropriate dicastery among uh, the experts and those charged with doing that. The first official step uh, when there is a heroic virtue, a reputation for sanctity. Uh, normally there is a five-year waiting period after someone dies before they could enter into this first step, but it could be waived by the Pope. Uh, but after five years and there is recognition of heroic sanctity, the person could be uh, then undergo the declaration of servant of God. Um, and after that, then the, there is an investigation into the life and virtues that continues, and the results then are brought forward. And when that is ratified by the Vatican, by the, congreg by the dicastery for the cause of saints, uh, then it would become venerable. Uh, so the person then, uh, especially uh, uh, the, uh, um, if the person dies as a martyr, uh, this, this step could be skipped. It could go rather even to be declared blessed. Uh, and then perhaps even then go on to be to the fourth stage, which would be a saint. So the step, third step after venerable uh, ordinarily would be uh, to be named blessed. And the, the process, the key thing, the difference here from venerable to blessed would be that there would be uh, an, a verifiable miracle, uh, that there'd be, at the, through the intercession of that saint, uh, an unexplainable miracle. Usually it's with a healing from some illness or some uh, event that has taken place where someone was blessed 
in a physical way. Uh, and then once that is accepted uh, through the scrutiny that there is no natural or scientific explanation for the change in health or the change in whatever happened it be for the miracle, uh, then the person could be declared blessed. <clears throat> and then the last step uh, normally would be a final miracle. So a second miracle uh, to be have the canonization of the saint take place. So that is the ordinary way for canonization to come to pass. Again, it would be uh, a servant of God, and then the step of being venerable, then the step of being blessed. And at the step for blessed, there would be a, a verified miracle uh, upon investigation, and then the, the second miracle for the step of being declared a saint. So those are uh, pr progressions we have. We look at the saints. Not every saint in the history of the church has had this pattern. Uh, there was a point in time in the church when there needed to be clarification on who would have the title of being a saint or considered in this category. And uh, so then there was a formal process that began to be developed to discern this because uh, the, the church wants to discern well uh, and take her time. And many times the even canonizations have taken place many, uh, even a century, two centuries, but there have been times in which it was only some handful of years. Like even we had Pope John Paul II, his uh, process was started soon after his passing and his being named blessed and then canonization uh, went in rapid order. And there were certainly miracles uh, that were verified. And there are miracles even during his life due to his intercession as well while he was here on earth. So, uh, great questions there about the process of being saint. Um, and I'm gonna, we got a few other questions that have come in here. We're going to take a look at uh, how this... Um, there, uh, we heard also, this is an interesting question, that somewhere that the church demoted some saints after the Second Vatican Council. So what does this mean? Uh, are saints like St. Saint Christopher no longer okay to ask for uh, him to pray for us? That's a great question. So... First of all, the the impression of demotion regarding being a saint, uh, that that's not true. So it's like St. Christopher would be one. He's still St. Christopher, and you can still ask St. Christopher to pray for you. Uh, another one like that would be St. Philomena. Uh, many have devoted devotion to St. Philomena. She, she's still a saint in the church, in the official collection of saints and, and persons uh, we honor as saints. However, what this means regarding demotion, it gives this, this impression or false impression that they're no longer considered saints in the Catholic Church is that their liturgical celebrations were removed from the universal calendar. So the, that means that universally throughout the world, for example, there's no longer uh, two feast days for St. Philomena as there was before 1970. There was one in May and one in August. Or St. Christopher, his uh, liturgical celebration was on the calendar before 1970. Um, there were of various reasons why some saints were uh, removed from the universal celebration. There was a process of, uh, of analysis of that, and those decisions were made at the time to make a calendar uh, on who the saints would be recognized liturgically uh, each year in the calendar. Uh, but, However, any saints that were, were on the calendar before 1970 approximately, and then uh, not on after, they're still saints. Uh, they still merit our devotion. You can still be devoted to them, and that's not a problem. So, uh, in a sense, they were not demoted from being a saint, uh, but just uh, there was a change regarding the calendar and the liturgical celebration. So our attention, then, in a sense, because if, if a saint is on the liturgical calendar, they obviously get more attention uh, each year. Uh, but some of these saints, there are actually many saints and many blessings who are not on the universal calendar. And I, I like to have this pious thought that they, they have less business in heaven. They have fewer people calling out to them. And so they're, they're going to pour in more of their heart uh, in intercession for us. And, uh, and help us out. So 
sometimes there are some blessings on finding a lesser known saint. Like I was doing a little reading this morning, there, there's a lesser known saint of today. His name was St. Wolfgang of Radisbon. And I, I chuckled when I saw St. Wolfgang. He was a, a bishop in the, the Germany area and he hit miracles during his life. And then especially after his death, he was canonized about, you know, shortly after year 1000 because of the number of miracles at his tomb. And I have a priest friend whose name is Father Wolfgang. So I was chuckling a little bit and thinking, all right, St. Wolfgang, help my friend, Father Wolfgang. <laughs> and by the way, help me out too. <laughs> so we're, we, but there are many saints such as this and who we might find to be special intercessors in heaven. And they, they're happy for the business of a, of a friend invoking them. Uh, but the saints, their hearts are expanded so great in the love of God. They, can, they have room for many, many, many friends. And of course, the, the heart of all saints, the, the, the greatest saint is our Blessed Mother, the Queen of Saints, the Queen of all hearts, uh, and the one through whom we all receive the sanctifying power of the Holy Spirit, uh, the Mother of God. So we come to her that she may make us a saint like the saints in heaven, that we may join her and St. Joseph and all the great saints in heaven. So that's a great question regarding saints that seem to be um, uh, relegated to uh, the background, but they're still saints in heaven, and they still can play a great role for, with us. And I remember St. Christopher, so many people have the, the little medal in the car, and they invoke him when traveling, and I do. And so we can certainly still pray to him and St. Philomena and others who may not be on the calendar at this time. Why do we need to... Uh, um, why do we recognize that there are uh, many different types of saints uh, um, in heaven, and maybe even some? Because in All Saints Day, November first, we recognize not only those saints who are who have gone through the process of canonization and are named blessed and and saint, but we recognize all the saints, including the ones we do not know, because the universal saving power of God, the saving power of God, uh, works in so many different ways to save souls and and uh i i know where i have a funeral after this show here this morning and i while i don't have any authority to name anyone a saint i i'm hopeful of someone's salvation that we have the funeral here was someone who came back to the church and was a great blessing to interact with this individual's life uh, near the end of this person's life and to have that reconciliation with jesus christ it was very powerful uh, affirming of myself as a priest but also affirming of the the faith of all those around this this person who passed away and had a peaceful death uh and i like to think i'm a carmelite i'm a secular carmelite she wore the brown scapular uh, so it was a great experience but we recognize people who uh in this life we know that someone who passes away in friendship with God, and we call it the state of grace, uh, and who want heaven, who want to see God, uh, that they're going to be on that path. And we know there may be that time of purgatory, and we have our focus shift in the church liturgically on Wednesday, November 2nd, when we uh, celebrate All Souls Day. We, th we think of it in a sense of celebration, because the souls in purgatory, they're souls who died in friendship with God, but they're not prepared to go before God. And the, the soul that when, when the soul passes and stands before God, and knows that, that God pronounces salvation, but knows that it's not prepared to come before the all-powerful light in the face of God. There are blemishes due to the remnants of sin, uh, and love is not fully purified in the heart of the soul. Uh, the soul actually prefers to undergo the purification uh, because it cannot stand uh, the intensity of the love of God, the full perfection of the sight of God. And so pur the purgatory is a, a purification. It is also an atonement. It also magnifies and perfects all love uh, of the heart and the will of the soul. And there is a kind of offering, a kind of suffering in the midst of that, that the soul uh, will 
be purified and atone to the, the justice of God. And so we can pray for the souls in purgatory, and we especially do that because they, they generally cannot pray for themselves. Uh, so they they need our prayers, and that is a way of an act of love for us that, that is uh, affirmed in Scripture, and it is also affirmed in our tradition of our faith that we pray for the souls uh, of our friends and beloved uh, and all the souls of the faithfully parted in purgatory. We have two great spiritual days here in which we recognize the power of Christ, <coughs> the power of the church living and acting uh, in the world, um, and then also the power of, uh, of the, the grace of Christ to give soul, salvation to souls in a broad way through the life and grace and action of the church. And then our brothers and sisters in purgatory. In fact, the times there is this division that we hear of as well, that the, the souls in heaven... Uh, that are saved and, and experience heaven are the souls uh, uh, victorious and the souls in purgatory uh, who are uh, hoping for and desiring our prayerful intercession, offering of masses, including them in rosaries, offering sacrifices and sufferings. They're the church uh, suffering. And we here on earth who are active in the church and working to perform works of mercy, growing in our faith, learning and teaching and drawing other souls to the knowledge and love of Christ in the church, we're the church militant. That is, we're, we're working for the sake of the building up of our Lord's kingdom. So the many graces this week uh, interacting with heaven and the saints in heaven and we're asking for their help, including tomorrow, celebrating that we can, in the state of grace, we, we are united with them because the, the Holy Spirit is, is not uh, um, is active within us as it is active within, within the souls in heaven, as it is active in the souls in purgatory. The same Holy Spirit is active in all these groups of people separated by uh, experiences and uh, dimensions in that sense regarding the experience of heaven, the experience here on earth, and the, the, the creation here, and then the experience of purification in heaven. It's a beautiful mystery. But we know with certitude it's true. Uh, the, the, the reality of heaven is a dogma. We know for certain heaven is real. The, the experience and the reality of purgatory is certainly real. It is the level of a dogma in our teachings and doctrines and our faith. We must accept it. And it is a beautiful teaching to accept truly uh, that pur purgatory uh, is, a, is a way and a means of God's mercy for our souls to enter into heaven. Uh, so we give thanks to God here this week for these graces. Uh, to see what a few other questions have come in here. Um, now, one question here, good question. Is it okay for me to ask my deceased relatives <coughs> to pray for me, even though they're not formally canonized saints? Um, yes, uh, that you, you might be able to do that. And But at the same time, we want to take care that we do not uh, let them be canonized in our own minds and hearts, that we, that we uh, have this, uh, a kind of certitude. We might, we might have a general confidence of that, uh, but at the same time, what can happen is we may fail to pray for them. We, we have to leave off uh, a certitude of judgment of our own mind and heart. We can have a kind of type of confidence, a hopefulness, uh, that our, our friends and beloved can be in heaven. Uh, but at the same time, we must allow for the finality of God's judgment. And God's judgment is his. He doesn't uh, make always a clear voice regarding his judgment. And that, that's why the church had developed the process to come to an understanding uh, regarding some people who uh, God approves that he will affirm through his church that these souls are indeed before him. He, he has sanctified them and purified them. And it gives us confidence in that process that God takes all of us through to be ready to get to heaven. Heaven is our final goal. So it's for all believers and for all people, God desires that we want to go to heaven. Uh, so for us who are, have the clarity of the truth of our faith, uh, that our Lord desires that we will continually uh, work to be purified 
in our minds and hearts uh, through the graces given to us. So certainly there is room for asking <coughs> for help in prayers, but at the same time, we must avoid forgetting to pray for them. We must still pray for them and not be presumptuous uh, that our own limited forms of judgment are certain uh, regarding the needs, the spiritual needs of our beloved who have, who have passed away and gone on before us. Um, so another question here, a good question. What happens if uh, I offer prayers or an indulgence for a soul uh, in purgatory, but they're not in purgatory? Say they've gone on to heaven. That's a great question. So with that, uh, we believe that the offering of charity for someone who has gone on to purgatory that that charitable work will not be, the fruit of that will not be lost. So if someone, say, uh, is in not in need of that charity or those intentions of prayers, that we piously hope and are confident that our good Lord will then apply that somewhere else, that our charity will be beneficial to some other souls. And always we must remember that charity or love is its own reward. So when we offer acts of love, we also, the, the individual soul will grow in love itself and, and grow in merit uh, uh, and in receiving God's love from himself. So we, by being charitable, we grow in our own charity. Uh, um, and there's a, a few indulgences, to, a few things on indulgences to think about here. Um, so first of all, starting November 1st, that if you visit a cemetery, uh, you can uh, ask for an indulgence, for a plenary indulgence, for uh, someone who is in purgatory uh, or a faithful departed. And you pray the prayers to the Holy Father and you visit the cemetery. And that's from November first November 8th and it seems to me it might be the whole month I, I don't have that information for him but I think it was extended recently by Pope Francis but I know for sure November 1st to the 8th uh, that the indulgence is available uh, for visiting a cemetery but then with the ordinary thing to, to have an indulgence for um, uh, someone in purgatory or the other option ordinarily for indulgences on other actions that you could also ask for it to be applied to yourself. So you're going to be in the state of grace when you do the action that is indulgence. Uh, you, you also then have the prayers for the Holy Father and you perform the work that is to be done. And, and then there is the, the one that can be a little tricky is to be completely detached from all sin or any attachment to sin. So it's important as you're, you're going into the work and that as you're praying for this grace, rejecting all sin, rejecting all attachment to sin, and wanting to have God to be the center of one's life, to have only his love. So these things are, are very important regarding indulgences. And I encourage you to try to obtain an indulgence each day uh, to have... Uh, everything to be according to God's will and the growth of his grace and mercy. Uh, let's see if we have another question here. I know people who say to offer something for the souls in purgatory. Is there a formal way to do this? <laughs> um, there is nothing real formal about this, only it's a matter of uh, one's interior intention. Uh, I would say that to, to boil it down to one basic idea, it is about a work of love. Uh, it is about a work of compassion regarding the souls in purgatory. Uh, we do know that they cannot help themselves. We also do know uh, that they, the, the greatest desire they have in their heart is to see God, and that's the greatest suffering of the souls in purgatory. They long to see God, uh, but they need to have this purification. So they're readied for it, uh, but they're eager in that sense. They have a kind of holy impatience. They want to possess God and see him face to face. And it's been a long journey because they journeyed through this world, pass through death, and then there is the final purification. And so the souls in purgatory want to have it be completed. And that's where there is, our Lord has established this pattern of love, where you and I, by loving them, 
we can aid them. We can show them compassion. We can aid them in the midst of their suffering. We can ask God for mercy uh, to speed along their atonement to his justice and, and to give uh, blessings for the purification of their heart and their mind and the love of God. And, and God does receive our offerings of love on their behalf and blesses them. And our aid for them, uh, as attested by many mystics and persons who uh, have had um, ways of helping the souls in purgatory, uh, what they've learned is that God then... Uh, has in turn those souls upon their finality entering to heaven they intercede for us back here uh, they become special intercessors as you might imagine when we have someone help us here on uh, this earth in some way in a human way or a natural way we think well what can i do for you you help me what can i do for you we want to return some kindness some gesture back and so the souls of purgatory too in their rejoicing in god uh, can have this some special way of then how can i help those souls that have helped me. And they will intercede for the church, they intercede for uh, families and vocations, intercede for children, intercede for priests and bishops, intercede for all of us that we may continue in the path of love and holiness and that purification as much as we can already in this life. So the nothing real formal about it, but we all have various sufferings and trials every day. Uh, we can offer them for the souls in purgatory. We can perhaps we pray the Angelus prayer. We can offer that for the souls in purgatory. We can have holy masses offered for the souls in purgatory. And even at every mass, regardless of the intention of the mass, we can come and uh, there's a commemoration in the each Eucharistic prayer <laughs> regarding the faithful departed that we can, as we hear that, join our own hearts and prayer asking our lord for the blessing of the souls in purgatory to finish their purification um so that's a great question and i encourage people to give that intention um of uh helping the souls in purgatory um some of the the tried and true ways also have been the rosary i recall one time uh, a soul appeared to padre pio and uh padre asked padre pio to uh offer a mass another time to offer the holy rosary and once he did then the soul he was given to know the soul was released in in that way you know padre pio one of the great mystics of this last century and uh others will talk about the perhaps uh uh works of mercy that people can do to atone for the sins of others i've heard also at other times where the uh offering of a series of holy masses uh there's the idea of the gregorian masses uh that you might hear of a, a set of masses for uh 30 consecutive days uh for a faithful departed as well um the Gregorian masses are ones where there's there's some religious orders that offer those, and the there's priests designated to receive that intention, and then there's a suggested donation that goes into that, and that becomes part of the ministry of that religious order or that priest. And when that happens, the um, the there's a specific that one intention for a set series of masses uh, that uh, for that to happen, and that's called a Gregorian mass uh, intention and offering. Um, there are some religious orders that do this. Uh, I, I'm not aware of any in the area right here, but you can likely find those online if you uh, look that up as well. Now, what about uh, another question? Come in, a good one. Are there any special prayers I should offer when someone has just passed away? So, in the in the dying process, uh, I encourage you to think of of uh, a few things so number one each one of us is going to pass away so let your family or loved ones know what you would like uh what that you would like to have a priest to come that you would like to have the apostolic pardon that the priest can provide 
and what sorts of things that you would you would prefer if it's possible uh, to have family around you or people to pray the rosary. Uh, th- so those are crucial times and to have care and the love of loved ones and to have that spiritual support, especially the, the visitation of priests and the anointing as well as the, the various prayers of commendation. So as a priest, that the priest can come and pray the prayers of commendation for someone who's dying as well, and I've done that. I mentioned that here just a bit ago for someone who will have the funeral today. And then also the priest uh, can come after death. It is possible. If it, if it is possible for the priest to come, there are prayers to pray of, of commendation after death uh, liturgically that the church offers that uh, can be done as well. That is possible. Not essential, uh, but, it's, but it is something that could be done. And then prayers that you can pray after the death. I, I do recommend the rosary. I recommend um, the eternal rest prayer uh, that we know uh, that is common in our Catholic faith. Uh, eternal rest, God unto them, O Lord, let perpetual light shine upon them. May they rest in peace. And may all the souls of the faithfully parted to the mercy of God rest in peace. Uh, I also recommend the chaplet of mercy. And I recommend having holy masses offered. And one of the dilemmas we have now is that there's a, there are some Catholics passing away, and perhaps their children are not seeking to have a funeral mass for them. And, and also along with that, to maybe to not have the remains uh, to be buried uh, either in a timely way or perhaps not at all. So for Catholics, so our teaching is we need to have the remains of the deceased uh, to be buried uh, and to have it in a designated spot, perhaps in a, in, in a, in a cemetery and with the gravestone. And so this becomes a, uh, a beautiful, not only demarcation regarding the, the passing of someone and then a, a place where uh, any mourning can also come, but also where we have this hope because the cemetery is our place of hope where the resurrection uh, will be witnessed uh, all all of heaven will see the resurrection, and cemeteries will be one of those uh, places of, of uh, great signs and wonders at that appointed time that God knows. So Catholics were obligated to have burials for our uh, beloved departed, but to have, to have someone coordinate that in family life, because sometimes there's not someone to coordinate that, or perhaps there is uh, not, not that person of faith uh, for uh, organizing the funeral and working with a parish or a priest to have that funeral. Uh, so to have that determination, the funeral rites of the church are beautiful, and, and then to also have the burial in the cemetery. So those are all great questions. Um, and then uh, um, one last question. There was someone who was a, uh, has a relative who was a strong atheist while they were alive but passed away without changing uh, his views. Should I still pray for his soul? And the answer is yes, because there's a possibility that the soul could repent in that quiet before passing. We know that our Lord's mercy is infinite. Thank you for the great questions. Please stay here with us at Real Presence Radio Live for our next guest. We'll be right back with you after the break. <laughs> 